Hi. You're listening to The Digital Dude. This is a podcast about digital learning in schools. I'm Michael Vick. And I'm Sam Shropshire. We're former teachers and current digital learning coaches. Technology is powerful. Get on the line and prepare to get plugged in. Thanks for tuning in. All right, welcome, guys, to another edition of The Digital Dudes. What's up, everybody? Michael here. Oh, I'm Sam. And uh, another exciting episode today, we have an interviewee. Hey, look, that person looks interesting. Let's hear what they have to say. Yeah, we have a special guest, a social studies teacher here at my middle school, Stafford Middle School. Her name is Jen Cransberry. You want to say hey? Hey, how's it going? She, she and I work together on a lot of things. She's uh, super advanced. I'm sure you'll find out. Um, during the interview and so we have some questions for you are you excited we, she has prepared a little bit except for you know the <laughs> last question for all 20 million of our <laughs> listeners <laughs> so you teach social studies mm-hmm. what teach. what specifically do you teach eighth grade US history oh that's awesome mm-hmm. I, I come from a social studies background as well so I appreciate you know talking to social studies people because last interview was all math people and Michael and them just Boring. yeah I know there was a moment <laughs> where we where, where we were we were talking about like the importance or non-importance of calculators in the class, and then it was just, yeah. Already, I can tell I'm getting eye rolls. Right? So <laughs> shut up. Yeah, but you might say the same thing about the importance of maps in class. We love using maps. Well, no, I mean, I really do. I dig social studies. I'm just not as good as it at it as math. That's all. Yeah, your brain is definitely more wired yeah. that way. Yeah, analytical, <laughs> logical, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so why do you think that Michael picked you to be on this podcast? Probably because I'm very open to using new technology, new ideas, and integrating it into my teaching. Uh, Because I've always been forward thinking with technology. I've been using technology since I was in eighth grade, which is a long time ago. But (laughs) um, I've always been open to it. And so when I have an idea, you know, uh, Michael and I will sit down and talk about it and usually if it's not something that's already out there he'll be like oh let's do it like this and then I'm like okay well how do I do that and then we just roll and it goes so that's probably why is because I'm very open to using any kind of technology in my classroom that's true uh, I mean you say open I more than that I mean eager I guess would be the best like you're really eager to want to use new technology and I mean, we're going to talk about this a little bit later, but like you've, you've done you've done some things to really challenge me and you've taught me some things. Like you were the first teacher to use the Google LTI tool, uh, the new one, the 1.3 version, and that was really cool for me to see that end of it. Are you referring to in a Canvas assignment? Yes, yeah, okay. yeah, the Google external tool. It's, it's probably because it's so easy to use. It was, yeah. it was, it's the same as using it in Google Classroom. The difference is, is you can loaded into Canvas, and so it just made sense to me. Why wouldn't I use it? Because I could still see my students work, I can, I can track how they're doing, I can give them feedback along the way, which you couldn't do with a standard Canvas assignment. Now just to give some like context to this, you're talking about like when you create a Canvas assignment and you go to Submissions Hive, you're picking an external tool and then you Correct. do that Google. Okay, just want to make sure everybody kind of understands what yeah, we're talking so about. Yeah, so I use that external tool of the Google LTI, Assignments LTI. Um, that's the newest interface because um, the older ones were having glitches and I saw those glitches and it did make it a little frustrating but yes. Google recognized it and Canvas and they fixed it and so now it's a dream it's awesome because I can check my kids work anytime a parent says 
Oh, my kid turned it in, and then I can go find it. No, they didn't touch it at all. Oh. So, and I have that advantage, whereas when you do a regular Canvas assignment, you have to wait for the kid to submit it. And then you can see it if it's been uploaded right and if you have access to it. The beauty of Google Assignments, I always have access. I kind of like how when they're working on it, they're the owner, and then when they submit, it just automatically switches ownership over to you. Yep. And so, like, then it's not like they can go back through later and, like, start editing things and changing some things. Like, oh, well, I did that. And it's like, well, not when you submitted it. And the other beauty of that is the whole time they have it, I still have considered the owner, even though they get to work on it. So if they decide to share it with their friends, it comes straight to my email asking me if I can give somebody permission that's not that person to have a copy of their file. I didn't know that. That's really cool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's cool. So you're teaching things too. Oh, this yeah. Is why you're <laughs> always open, yeah. So they can't one. cheat. So it's really fun. I get an email from this student saying, can this student have access to my file? And what's funny is when it comes during my class. Um, what's going on, guys? Why are we sharing files? <laughs> <laughs> oh. So that's Busted. Fun. You know, it's not really, there's a lot of teachers that hear the words external tool, LTI, and it's, it's really not difficult. I, what I see a lot of people doing is forcing a copy of a Google assignment mm -hmm. and having kids do it and then sharing it with them. And that gets to be, your, your email's going to be flooded, you have to go find everything and organize it in your Google Drive if you want to look at everything. It's, you have to have access to right, it. Right. And so if that's, I, there's, there might be some people listening and that's their approach. And I'm just like, just give it a shot. Just give the Google LTI tool a shot. It's four extra clicks, maybe even no extra clicks. I mean, it's just it's like, it, it might be. I mean, it's just. And the beauty of it is if something happens to the original file or the kid can't kid made a copy of the file for some reason, they can still upload it into that Google assignment that's been the, as the external tool in Canvas. Yeah. So that's the beauty of it is, or if they had an extra piece, maybe the whole assignment was complete and they had an extra piece they wanted to add, there's a thing at the bottom that says add file. So that's really neat because you can't do that with a regular Canvas assignment. It only takes the one you're putting in. Yeah, to give you all some background on my experience with Canvas and Google, the first couple of years of using Canvas, it was, Definitely, it seemed like there was a divide, like a lot of Google things would not work well in Canvas. And for the longest time, um, I was having people use things like uh, Sir Links a lot and forcing the copy link and then the kids would then open up their copy. But then they would have to change the name, change the share setting like Michael said, organize it and then turn it into Canvas. This is saving the student a lot of work and especially like, you know, students that aren't very organized, this is a great tool for them. The be sorry. The beauty is that you can do Google Sheets, Google uh, Slides, Google Docs, and Google Drawings. Any of those you can load as that external tool and they can use it and then submit it back. That's I remember awesome. when it first, when initially, like the first year, we're talking like four years ago, like Canvas came out and I was trying to figure out I thought that there was a world where you could have a Canvas course and a Google Classroom. Like when you're, this is what I thought. Don't shake your head at me. When I, <laughs> no, because they that weren't was working together the at first. They were, because they weren't working together, it does make sense. And that a lot you could of glitches, and a lot of glitches were happening. If you really wanted something Google, it was a little bit easier to deal with. Um, however, the new the new Google LTI tool, I think, has, has changed that. It's way more consistent. Mm -hmm. so. Oh, and I forgot Jamboard. We did that one time, oh, yeah, we were playing with the Jamboard, and I put the Jamboard as a Google assignment. And, and it worked. And it worked, every kid had their own Jamboard. Now, I should start taking notes, because you're on like thing three for me that I didn't know. Because no, I borrowed, yeah. you know, we teachers borrow, yep. uh, an activity from a teacher in the district off of uh, Twitter 
um, it was an I Spy game, and it was on Jamboard. And I created it on Jamboard, and then I put it on Canvas as a Google assignment extension, external tool, and every kid had their own, which was really neat, because then I could go in and see how they were doing and watch kind of and check on them and things like that. So that was pretty neat. That is neat. So one more plug for it. Um, you know, we're talking to a middle school teacher right now, but I used to teach high school, and I know in high school this is probably a lot bigger deal. They have that originality checker on it, and I think that's a pretty neat yep. feature too, where it will like go through a kid's submission, and if it tags anything as plagiarized, it'll actually like, give you the link to the place that that Have you information used that, the originality Yeah, checker? when we do our DBQs, and I have mm -hmm. them, I have them, I send them out a blank Google Doc to put their DBQ on, they're a final draft, they copy and paste it on there. And so when it when I do the originality checker and it comes back, it can tell me if it came from theirs or it came from another website. So that's really awesome. That is really cool. Because I love when I can put in the comments the website that it came from <laughs> and they're like, oh. <laughs> See, technology can be your friend yeah. in that's, helping kids learn how to do things on their own and not always use Google yeah. or something else. So. That's, that's a great segue to the next question. So. Um, this is a digital learning podcast, and so I know like being a teacher involves way more than just technology, but from the technology perspective, what role does that have in your classroom? Well, increasingly, since I've started teaching, technology has played a larger role. I, remember, I always joke that when, I, when technology first came into the classroom and everybody was excited about it, it was your projector and a PowerPoint slide. I mean that was that it. was very exciting and I everybody remember. was excited to do that and you and principals encouraged it everybody encouraged it and I was like well that's easy Psst, let's do it because it was easy you know but the more increasingly we've had access to technology that functions better in the classroom it has been fun to see how it becomes integral in your daily life and I've had this dream two separate dreams for education one is that you could go paperless which this is the first year I'm finally able to accomplish pretty much 98% of my stuff is paperless. I have no, kids don't turn anything in this year, partly because of COVID, but partly because I wanted to see if I could do it. Couldn't I finally do it? And we finally have the tools to do it appropriately and to do it to where I don't have to make any copies because I can put everything on Canvas. Yeah, so back, background on that, unrelated, our, our school, mine in Ms. Gransberg's school, this is the first year where we were able to be one-to-one Chromebooks, and so when she says this is the first year, it's more than just the COVID situation. It's right. because we would this would have been the first year, COVID or not, for us to be able to go one to one legitimately. Like you maybe could have had kids do stuff on their phones and yeah. share Chromebooks on carts and stuff. But we, I mean, numbers wise, we had like 150 Chromebooks for 950 students last year. Whereas this year we have enough Chromebooks for every single student to have one. Yeah which is where my second dream comes in, and that's this idea of going back to the slate idea of original education when kids would bring a slate to school and they did everything on their slate. Well, instead of doing a chalkboard and chalk slate, it would be like a tablet that they had everything on, which is what we're doing now with the one-to-one, -one. and that's fulfilling that dream of kids having everything they need on that computer. The next step would be that they would have touchscreen computers, you know, to where they could actually write on the computer. Yeah. That would be the ultimate dream because they wouldn't need a pen or pencil for class. They mm -hmm. wouldn't need all of that because not to say that there's not any validity in using pen or pencil because I am not very good at math, but I know good and well that if I don't write that math problem out, I'm not going to do it well at all. So I see there's still validity for pen and pencil, but there's so many advancements in technology that we can use in our classroom that would be that just are far beyond what we were able to do 10 years ago in class. So when I, when I was a 
Sorry, Sam. I just want to say this on this real quick. So when I was a math teacher, when I was in the math classroom, we ha we were one-to-one -one iPads my last couple of years. And That's so, awesome. you know, kind of your dream, the touch screen was yep. happening. And the first nine weeks, we did go paperless. I made them, you know, annotate on their iPad. And I saw them improve. Like you say, there is a need for pen and paper or pencil and paper. I, I don't know if that's true. I think that in like eventually kids can be just as good annotating on an iPad or a touch screen as they would be with pencil and paper. Maybe even more intuitive. At, I mean at some point, I mean think about it, they've been writing on pencil and paper since kindergarten. They've had years and years of practice even by the time they get to middle school. Like what if that practice was on a touch screen? Then pencil and paper would be the outlier and the weird, the weird new one. And you know, I've heard a lot of teachers talk about that situation or actually not just teachers just people in general and they're like well you know that maybe it's not good to look at screens you know for that long I was actually talking to a, a, a science teacher an eighth grade science teacher and he was bringing up and I don't remember the specific place he got this research but he said that there was some beaten some research where people have already like there's already a divide in an age gap between like older generation and younger generation where that whole like blue screen thing and, and negatively affecting your eyesight is actually not true and that it's almost like your eyes have already adapted basically to the technology that we're using more and more daily yeah it's kind of interesting that is very interesting like he almost said like there's two different types of humans that my kids are different types of humans than me <laughs> i'm like oh that's interesting i mean i to think about I've seen my kids on an iPad for long period, long stretches of time, and I'm like, there's no way I could pull that off. That would just be headache city, like, for sure. But I think I could see where both sides fit because I've been using computers since I was in eighth grade myself. And I went to a high school that uh, was more computer friendly. We had somewhat of a magnet, computer magnet, and I took some classes that most high schoolers don't get to take. Um, some programming classes, some graphic design, and so I've probably been sitting in front of a computer all my life. Plus, my handwriting isn't that nice. So, same. same. Typing up your <laughs> typing up your paper was the best way to get the best grade in your class because the teacher could read my writing. You know, and I have asked from day one for my teachers once I had access to computers. Hey, can I type my essay? Can I type this? And I thankfully didn't have any teachers who said no because we didn't have the internet then. You know, I'm a little bit older than the internet, but you know. Uh, we didn't have the internet when I was in middle school, so there was no worry about was I copying off the well, internet. Well, you were a little bit more prepared for the future. I mean, you even though like our kids have Chromebooks one-to-one -one this year, I mean, teachers have been having a computer. I mean, nobody would accept a handwritten, like, art notes or anything like that or you have to nobody would like accept a handwritten spreadsheet with grades on probably it. not in the last like, 20 years there's no way like and so you were a little bit more prepared for the future and i think you know kind of that paperless classroom that we're talking about that's more the future especially because yes. you know printer ink is ridiculous yes well and i and i grew up in california and there was a time where printer ink was so expensive the teachers couldn't even buy it mm -hmm. so it was almost pushing them to try to be more creative and not have to make copies. Yeah. Well, that's good. And I know I know you're not an ILA teacher, but I, your kids are, are typing essays and turning in, you know, longer things. Mm -hmm. But, like, how ridiculous is it to have kids write that out, especially, like, a rough draft? I mean, nobody writes rough drafts because then you have to go and redo the from scratch again, you know? Typing it and then editing it makes way more sense. Plus, you have all the... All the tools on your computer, you know, your spell check yeah. and your you know, you, formatting. You, you're talking about something, kind of brought up a question. It's not on here, but I'm just kind of interested. 
Um, I remember that when in my classroom we got iPads too when I was teaching at Coppell High School and we went one to one. There was like, I was so excited and giddy and, you know, just like I think the three of us in this room and jumping into things. But like there was definitely some resistance to it from students. Have you felt any of that or or do you feel like they were kind of as eager as, as you were? I think in the beginning of this, well, in the beginning of my learning of it, the kids always kind of thought it was fun. It was cool because it wasn't every day. Now that we've had it every day this year, in the beginning the kids thought it was fun. I could have my computer all the time. But then they didn't like that they couldn't play on their computer all the time, but they actually had to do schoolwork. But then they enjoyed it because there was fun things that teachers were creating, not just myself, but I've seen teachers in other classes create these activities for the computer that they would have never created before, that kids are like, oh, this is so cool. So I think there's a level of them liking it, but I think some of them do miss that pencil and paper, which is weird. I wouldn't have thought that, but I did hear some kids the other day say, you know, sometimes I wish I could just close my computer and write. What? Like, No, those are the kind of comments I heard a lot, too. <laughs> yeah, same thing. Well, on I'm a computer, you're creating more, and that requires more higher-level thinking, yeah. more brain power. Mm -hmm. And so I think a lot of kids... That's tough to do. You know, eight, every single teacher is expecting this higher level thinking eight times a day. And yep. it's, you know, for eight periods. And it's just like, I could see I that could being see, exhausting. Yeah. That could be draining for sure. Well, yeah. I mean, if you're thinking on that level all the time, it is exhausting. Yeah. You know, and here they are, 14 year olds, and they're just learning the world and trying to cram all that into their head is, is hard sometimes. So that's, you know, that's where as a teacher, I have to remember they're just kids. And it's okay if they don't get it the first time, yeah. you know? Yep. So. So, one more question before we get to our final. How has your DLC impacted your classroom? The two DLCs I've had, and I can't leave the first one out. I'm sorry, Vic, I can't. What? Are you, Christy's awesome. But she's awesome. Not, I, if it weren't for Christy McCoy. Oh, she's amazing. She's amazing. you got to give credit we to Christy. <laughs> yes. Um, I started with her, and it was a life-changing, a life-altering teacher moment when I found out that a district wanted to support teachers with technology by having a specific person to help create things for the classroom. Because I can't, and, and, and it's not that my former district wasn't there yet. It, they were, I'm sure they were heading that way. They just hadn't gotten there yet. And so some, as somebody who loves technology and having to create it all themselves for their classroom, it, it becomes laborsome and, and, and the creativity only stays with you. And you don't get to learn new things. And so when I met Christy and she opened my eyes to all these cool programs out there and things that we could do. And then she was like, let me make that for you or let me do that. I was like, wait, what? And so rather than spending, you know, five hours of my day trying to create something and not being able to get work done or not grading done. Christy was able to do it in that time frame that she's given to help teachers out, which is beautiful because that's what it should be because that helps me in my classroom, but it also, you know, she has the tools to do those things, you know, and then when Vic came along, he just fell right into those steps and kept doing that with me and alongside of me and we're pushing each other and that's what Christy did and that's what I loved. And so to have that DLC to come alongside you and say, what can I do? What can I, how can I help? And then here are some cool programs. I know that, um, there are a lot of teachers around here that are some, you know, and I don't want to say old school, old school, but they just don't know a lot about technology and all the technology that they've been fed between Christy and, and uh, Michael has really opened their eyes to what they can do. They're so excited sometimes. Oh my gosh, I didn't know you could do that. And so it's fun to see how they've come alongside our teachers and given them the gift of technology knowledge 
and allowed them to try new things, you know, uh, in, in many different programs. That, some of them I just don't use because they don't work for me as much as I would like. But I've seen other teachers use all kinds of programs that have come from both Christy and Michael that um, I'm like, wow, I wish I could do that in my class. Or how can I make that work for my class, you know? Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, I think they're integral. And I think it's awesome when you can have one that will work side by side with you. And I love Vic, but if I had to ever have another one anywhere, I have to shout out to Rebecca Farr because she's a history uh-huh. teacher. So she would come right alongside me yeah. too and be like, yeah. what can I do to help you? So, but it's just because she has that understanding of history, but she's also very good with technology. So, but that's the beauty of a DLC is that, and the way that Frisco picks them is they, there's a level of technology they have an understanding and how it works in the classroom and how can they come along the side of a teacher and help them out. And that's the beauty of it. And to have that is priceless. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of ways this role is integrated very differently in other districts and I really appreciate this role I, I feel very very fortunate well and there's another level of it that probably Vic or Christy would don't always tell everybody is that the principals rely on them and I didn't yeah. know how much until some days yeah. you walk in the office and they're like hey on the radio hey Vic where are you hey Vic can you come to the office <laughs> yeah it happens so something else though, like you kind of hinted at it a little bit is you're you're the instructional coach here, so you kind of lead our social studies department. Uh, not kind of, you do lead our social studies department, and so like that support on the other end, where you're like, hey, did you talk to Vic about this, or what about this idea that, that Vic had, or hey, I'm doing this, you should try this too. Like that's really helpful as well. And I know I asked, we asked specifically, how is DLC impacted in your classroom? But it's also because of that support, it's impacted all social studies classrooms at this school I appreciate that and it's I mean you know you know your team like a lot of the a lot of teachers would have been fine not branching out you know and so I I, that has been really helpful well and the nice thing is is you come alongside them and say how can I help you with this and you don't leave them hanging you don't say here's the technology and walk away and that's that's also a gift because it is very, I, I don't, I'm not saying any DLC would do this. I'm just saying it would be very easy, I would think, as a DLC to put all that technology out there and say, here you go, and then help them if they need it, but not really go and pursue teachers and say, do you need my help with this, or I'm here to help you. You know, let me give you a little PD on it, you know, and that's, that's great because that takes the responsibility off the IC of having to make sure that I create PDs for that or I create and find new things because, you know, there's so much in the world of curriculum that you want to bring to your teachers, and it's nice to have somebody who can help with that in the technology realm. So, Definitely. All right, who's going to ask the final question? You can. <laughs> okay, okay. Should I be scared? No. <laughs> okay. It's just fun. It's just a fun question. Okay. okay. So if you were stranded on a deserted island, how long do you think you would survive? And. Just because we asked a social studies teacher this before and we had to clarify, we're talking like um, a castaway type island like in the South Pacific somewhere. You know, we don't need, she's like, well, is this in the Northern Hemisphere? We're like, okay, no, that's just. So it has vegetation on it then. Correct. Um, By the way, we, we did set an over under. Okay. And so we, we're very interested in what you have to say because one of us will be right and then Sam will be wrong. <laughs> Well, depending upon if I could find water right away, and of course there's the ocean, and if I could figure out how to boil it and get the salt out of it, 
then I would have a better chance of surviving longer because I'd have the one of the basic needs. So in 20 seconds, her, the over-under just went up. <laughs> <laughs> so the water is the biggest thing. And then find, you know, and hopefully there's fruit on the island. If it's a southern hemisphere island, then it would have some tropical fruit that I could eat. Coconuts. Although I'm not a big fan of coconuts. But you know, when you're in a life or death situation, you eat what you can. That's yeah. true. You just do it. Hungry people know? don't complain. Right. And so, you know... It, that would be the most of it. And then I would have to learn to like fish because I'm not a big fish fan. But I'm in the exact same boat. Got to do what boat, you got to do literally. when it's, you know. <laughs> You're in the so same boat. <laughs> I think the first thing was if I could find uh, water, get over my dislikes of certain foods, and, uh, you know, build a shelter that would keep me dry if it was raining or there was a storm coming through or if there was a cave that didn't have animals living in it, you know, I'd probably be... I could probably survive for a while. I mean, I watched Gilligan's Island. I watched, <laughs> I watched all those. I watched Castaway. I watched all those, you know, and I've read some good stuff. I never, I didn't watch, but what's his name? Bear Grills. Grillis? Yeah. Grills? Whatever. He'd go out into the wild. The whole eating bug thing, I, I don't know I could do that. That would be, yeah. I can't eat bugs. But uh, I think, and, and just my outdoor experience with camping and, and working at camps and having to figure out how to do certain things, I think I'd be okay for... I don't know. Maybe a year. I don't know. It just <laughs> depends. It, it was just, way over. Oh yeah, definitely. Probably. It would just depend because. Well, I mean, after a year, if you've made it a year, what's to keep you from making I know, it right? longer? I mean, you're. Hey, the Blue Lagoon—they survived a long time. Mm-hmm. Wasn't very appropriate for kids, but you know. Yeah. We. You want to know what we set the over/under at? Well, this was like Michael. I, I I didn't know you at all. I mean, <laughs> obviously, he knew. He probably knew you were going to come in with like confidence, well, and, and you have your background. Like I had forgotten about because I think you had mentioned the camping experience to me before, and I had forgotten about. If I had realized that when I set the over under, I would have set a little higher. Yeah, I went backpacking for five days in the Pecos Mountains in New Mexico. Yeah. Now I didn't go by myself, but I learned a lot on that trip. Well, I put it at three months. That's probably a safe bet if I didn't know what I was doing. Yeah. Well, some of the other people we've interviewed, they yeah, have, yeah, they have not been as confident. Of I was yeah. getting off of that. Yeah. Because I think originally when we were playing this question, I thought more people would be kind of in the, like what you're saying. But I think other people have more realistic expectations maybe than I do. But it also depends upon circumstances. You know, what's the weather like? You know, what kind of oh, animals yeah. are on the island? Um, snakes what kind and of stuff. Yeah. Snakes. What kind of, there is a snake island out there. That thing is scary. I feel like the answer, like the real live answers would be like either a week and a half or several months. Like, there wouldn't be anybody who dies after a month. Because if you've made it a month, then you're probably going to make it a little bit yeah, longer. Yeah, because you probably found a water source. But yeah. you can make fire. You can make fire. That's Wait, a key. Because then you can boil your water and have... Yeah, if yeah. you can make fire and boil your you water. You think you could do that? I don't no, I I, I, not without practice. I was I went to a training once where they taught us, like, using a rope and a stick, and whatever, yeah. taught us how to make fire. But, I mean, I would need to practice. It also depends upon what I had on the island with me. Like, if I was wearing glasses... Dude, I could totally use the glasses to start fire. Mm-hmm. Okay. With the sun. The sun can be your friend and it can be your enemy. Yep. So there's another question that we've uh, started asking people. Oh, I totally forgot about I'm so glad you remembered. <laughs> and, and I need to give some context here. The last time we talked to uh, our two people, um, they were on Michael's side. But I want you to know this week they came back and told me they were on my side. But I'm like, I wish you would have said that. Whatever. Anyways, so here's the question. I'm going to need some proof. I know. I know. I was just going to totally throw that bomb in there. All right. In Google Drive, right? Everybody uses Google Drive. You have two ways to really view your Google Drive. You have 
the icon list, right? We have all the different like pictures of the folders and the different items, or you have like the list view where it's more like a PC. Typically people are on one side or the other. Where do you land? Grid view or list view? Yeah. The icons. I like to see the files. Yep. I've always been that way. Even on the PCs, you know, when they said list view versus icon view, I would go to the medium icon view so I could see the little picture. Yeah. So you would take it off the PC default. I know. And then, and then you just you can't even see all the files. You, you don't know how many times you. people would be like, how can you do that? Oh, I have it on the list view. And I was like, oh, let's just go right here. And go. <gasps> so what she just said is most people are on list view. Mm-hmm. Well, no. <laughs> there are, well, I think some people do it because they don't know how to mess with it. And they're just like, fine, I'm just going to leave it that way. No, I know. I was just, I'm, I'm getting destroyed in this thing. And so I was trying to throw in some more Now, plugs. there is a negative side to the icon view. Is because what, no, it takes we don't need to bring it up. That's all the time we have for you. <laughs> <laughs> Only one is you can't see the whole screen. Exactly. So you have to go searching for them. Right. But the beauty of Google Drive is you can search for what you want and it comes right up. That's yep. true. So there are ways around it. But I like the icon view better. Definitely. All right. Well, I think uh, that wraps it up. Sam's wrong. Um, I like how we don't even have a debate, and it always turns into a debate no matter what. No, that's just a left brain, right brain thing. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong. Although, being a left hander, I'm always in my left hand. Oh, but it was. <laughs> that's the right way to do it. Yeah. All right, thanks for listening, everybody. Y'all have a good day. See you next time.